Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 4th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. The virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you might be geo-blocked from. So, if you're a UK expat and want to watch Match of the Day, but when you go to BBC iPlayer, it says this content is not available in your country, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around those blocks and keeps your data safe. It works on BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four. If you're an Irish expat, it'll work for RTE Player. If you're a US expat, it'll work for HBO. It'll work for Peacock. It'll work for Hulu. So a Liberty Shield VPN will get you the content you want to watch and it will keep your data safe. So go to LibertyShield.com right now, use the code EPL25 at checkout, and you get 25% off. There's a hardware package, which is a router. You plug that into your normal router, and any device you want to change the IP address of, you just connect that device to your Liberty Shield router. Anything you want to leave as is, you leave connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable, to your device again libertyshield.com epl25 at checkout we're also brought to you by home of hopcroft a giftware and homework company located in scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do check out the epl index and anfield index shops which you can find on etsy use the codes epl10 or red10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, uh, before I begin, if I can ask people to please stop sending me crypto nonsense, uh, that would be great. Uh, in both DMs and tweet form, that would be absolutely outstanding. Thank you very much. I'll just block these people. Now, uh, moving on. Um, Leicester City 4, Nottingham Forest nil last night at the King Power Stadium. A comprehensive win. For Leicester, absolutely a deserved win for Leicester. Not sure 4-0 fully reflected the game. Leicester did have two great chances, a one he should have scored twice. The first goal he should have scored came just before James Madison opened the scoring on 25 minutes. Leicester had been in control, had been the better team. But Forrest caught them on a counter, really good work from Gibbs White, sent a 1-E through, 1v1 with Danny Ward. He beat Ward with his shot, but it hit the post. And Leicester literally went back down the other end of the field and scored. Uh, James Madison's shot hit Scott McKenna 
deflected past Dean Henderson and into the net. Within 60 seconds, it was 2-0. Harvey Barnes picked up the ball in the left half space. Really don't understand what Steve Cook was doing. Um, Left Nico Williams in a bad position to try and recover. Couldn't get close enough to Barnes. He shifts it onto his right foot and bends it into the far corner. Tremendous goal by a tremendous player. Uh, Dean Henderson's temper tantrum after it, slapping the ground and flailing like a fish, uh, also of interest. On 35 minutes, it was 3-0. It's James Madison again. It's a free kick this time, just on the edge of the D. Steps up, and it's a gorgeous free kick. It really is. We talk about Ward-Prowse as the best free kick taker in English football, and he is. But James Madison is number two. He's right up there. And James Madison should be in the England squad. And I've been saying this for weeks now. I've been saying it for months. James Madison should be in the England squad. And in my view, James Madison should probably be starting for England right now. I think if you're playing a 4-2-3-1, Madison as your 10 behind Kane and two from Saka, Sterling and Foden, whichever two you want of those three, are your wide players. You'd probably say Sterling plus one of the young players, given what Raheem has done for England. But both Saka and Foden are obviously in pretty good form at the minute, so they both warrant a call as well. Uh, James Madison is a, is a better player than Jack Grealish. He's a better player than Mason Mount, and he warrants a call up to the England squad far more than either of them and should be starting right now. You play those two... Oh, that, sorry, you play him and those wingers in front of a midfield two that you take from Bellingham, Rice and Calvin Phillips when fit, and all of a sudden you're a much stronger unit. Madison had a tremendous season last year. We saw him get 18 goals and 12 assists, which is an immense return from someone who primarily plays in midfield. And this season, despite the fact that his team have been so, so poor, he's already got five goals and two assists. Really, really impressive form from James Madison. Awani would miss another big chance in the second half, sent through again, 1v1 with the goalkeeper. Can't beat Danny Ward this time. Ward right out on the edge of his box. Having made a mistake and not coming out to clear the ball, recovers well and makes a good save, but Awani should be scoring from there. And on 73... It's Pats and Daka who come on for Jamie Vardy. It's a Madison assist, ball played across, and a gorgeous little back heel flick from Daka. Gets good power and it gets good direction and gives Henderson no chance at all. Um, like I said, Forrest unquestionably the better team, but I do think 4 0 flattered them a little bit. 4 1 probably would have been a fairer reflection, or, you know, 3 1 maybe. Uh, 4-0 is a, is a bit of a, a false dawn, but huge win for Leicester. Much needed win for Leicester. Lifts them off the bottom. They're not very far. They're still 19th. They're level on points with Forrest, who dropped to the bottom of the table. But it is the first win of the season, and it is going to be a confidence-boosting win for them. And when we look at the fixtures they've got coming up, Bournemouth away, Palace at home, Leeds at home, 
those are three winnable games as well. So perhaps Brendan Rodgers is going to survive just by a little bit of luck and good fortune. I mean, really, he should have been sacked in the international break, but he's still there. He's got to win. They'll go to Bournemouth confident. They should beat them. They should be beating Palace at home and they should be beating Leeds at home. It does get more difficult after that. Then they go Wolves away, Manchester City at home, Everton away and West Ham away before the international break. So I wouldn't necessarily say Brendan will still be the manager when football restarts after the World Cup. But he's likely to buy himself at least until that international break. Um, for Forrest, there is a lot of talk about Steve Cooper's job security. I thought he got things completely wrong last night. And I'm a big fan of Steve Cooper, as I've said a bunch of times on this podcast. I'm a big fan of what he does and how he sets his team up. But last night he set his team up wrong. He went to a 4-2-3-1, which isn't an issue because Steve Cooper has played 4-2-3-1 a lot in his career as a manager. It was his primary shape when he was managing Swansea. But the team he sent out last night wasn't capable of playing in a 4-2-3-1. Steve Cook can't play in a back three. You play him in a four, you're asking for trouble. You play Steve Cook at all, you're asking for trouble. He wasn't a Premier League calibre defender when he was at Bournemouth. He is so far past being good enough at this level now, it's actually a little bit embarrassing. He was all at sea last night. I don't care what he brings from a leadership and organisational point of view. You're telling me Joe Worrell doesn't bring leadership and organisation and he's sitting on the bench. Now, I get that Loic Bade is currently injured. I get that Niakate is currently injured. But if if you're resorting to playing Steve Cook, you're doing something wrong. You could have played Worrell and McKenna last night as a two and you probably would have been fine. You wouldn't have gotten smacked around 4-0. Nico Williams isn't a great fullback. He's, he's a good wingback. He struggles at fullback. But you could probably have done more to help him out. And by that, I mean not playing Czech Coyote in the midfield two and asking him to cover huge amounts of ground. Czech Coyote at this point needs to either play in the middle of a three or in defence, not in a midfield two and not in that type of shape. Didn't really like the selection of Jesse Lingard as a left winger, and it was his mistake that led to the first goal. He's just completely on the periphery of the game. And if Lingard can't get involved in things, he's a passenger. Emmanuel Dennis would have been a better choice on the left wing. Aurier would have been a better choice at right back if that's the midfield you were going to go with because he's more of a fullback than Nico. But, I mean, we saw an improvement. Once Remo Freuler came on, we saw an improvement in Norwich, uh, in Forrest's ability to keep the ball. Ryan Yates came on at halftime as well and showed determination and some strength and some ball winning. Um, I thought when Mangala came on, he looked good, and he's obviously been out injured, so he's back. Now, that's a big help. If they can get Niakate back, it will be a massive help because he's very important to that defence because he's one of the few they have that has real pace. But for me, right now, I'd be looking at getting Bade back, getting Niakate back, playing those two either side of one 
of Warrell or McKenna. Have them in the middle because they're the slower type, but they're the more aerially dominant type. Play the two pacier ones either side. Williams and um, Renan Lodi as your wing backs. Mangala and Freuler in midfield. Brennan Johnson and Morgan Gibbs White, and then one of the two Nigerians up front, either Dennis or Awani. Probably Emmanuel Dennis right now. Just his touch, his pace, and his movement, I think, is better suited to playing with Johnson. And Awani is still coming to terms with the division. And I think he could be more of a threat if used off the bench right now, because you get him on for like 15, 20 minutes when he's charged up and full of energy and full of running. I think then he's a problem against tired defences. I just think Cooper got things really badly wrong last night. And I've said it a few times, playing Steve Cook, that is what's leading to these problems. It, there's obviously other issues. And obviously one of the issues is this team doesn't know each other yet. They're still getting to know each other after so many of them arriving in the summer transfer window. But you can't continue to play liabilities. We've seen so many managers fall into this trap over the years. You know, Norwich last season with Grant Hanley playing every week, just so far below the level of a Premier League centre-back. Liam Cooper at Leeds is another one. Uh, Steve Cook at Bournemouth was one, and now Steve Cook again. You can carry a couple of championship-level players when you come up, but not at centre-back. You do it at centre-back, you're going to go down. Um, Forrest injury situation. Right now, the only two players that are actually ruled out are Nia Kate and Omar Richards. Now, Richards is a good player, but Renan Lodi is a better player than him. Nia Kate, I think it's the end of the month they're saying for him. So in that time, you've got to figure out how to work around it. And maybe it is a back four. But if it is a back four, it cannot be Steve Cook. It, it can't. It just can't. How he played 90 minutes last night, I don't know. I really didn't understand how he managed to stay on for 90 minutes. John Percy reported almost immediately after the game that Rafa Benitez was uh, in was someone they were looking at as a potential replacement. I I think that would be a mistake. If you're going to move on from Cooper, and I don't think you should, because I think the league will be tight enough, and I do think he'll pick up some points before the, the World Cup break. I think the league will be tight enough that coming out of the World Cup break, he'll have been able to use that World Cup to mould a team that can come out of the gates really quickly and start to pull points back and get themselves out of the mess. Like, if we look at the Nottingham Forest squad, I'm not sure there'll be a whole bunch of players going to the World Cup. I mean, Dean Henderson might go, but I'd say right now he's probably the fourth England goalkeeper. Pickford, Pope, Ramsdale is probably the first three. So Henderson probably won't go. Uh, Bianconi won't go. Worrell won't go. Mangala won't go in all likelihood. Um, Mbappe so won't go. Nico Williams will be gone. Awani won't go because Nigeria didn't qualify. 
Gibbs White won't go, Lingard won't go, uh, Lewis O'Brien won't go, Tofolo won't go, Surridge won't go. Neil Cathay probably will. Brennan Johnson will. Koyate will. Remu Freuder probably will. Um, Emmanuel Dennis won't. Scott McKenna won't. Omar Richards won't. Loic Bade won't. Willie Bolly won't. Renan Lodi might. Renan Lodi might, but but then maybe not. He hasn't really played for Brazil this year. So maybe he misses out. But you'll have enough good players left behind to work on shape, to work on patterns of play, getting these players used to each other, that when they arrive back, you're just dropping a couple in. You're dropping in Brennan Johnson. You're dropping in Nico Williams. But you can work with the rest while they're gone. You're only really looking at four who are likely to start for you that will be gone. And everybody else should be left behind. Wayne Hennessy will be gone, but he's the backup goalkeeper. You're not going to worry too much about that. And if you can use those six weeks, give the players obviously a couple of weeks off, but then get them back in and treat it like preseason and really work on your shape, really work on being defensively solid, which is what Cooper made his bones on. Work on your transitions, work on your set-piece defence, because it's an abomination with, with them right now. There's more than enough talent there to stay in this division. More than enough. You've got really good players up and down the pitch. If if Cooper does go, he'll walk into another job. I don't I don't have any concerns about him. There'd be half the, the championship would sack their manager tomorrow to get Steve Cooper. Um I don't think Benitez is the choice though. I'd probably go for Dyche. I I'd probably go for Dyche. Now he he will play four four two, but you have players that will work in four four two. It's absolutely players that will work really well in a Sean Dyche team. Mangala and Freuder would be perfect Sean Dyche central midfielders. Players that keep it nice and simple, win the ball back, work really hard, really clever, really good positioning. Brennan Johnson out wide, perfect. Jesse Lingard wide the other side, not ideal, but he'll work hard. He'll do a job. Could use Morgan Gibbs white wide on one side and John and white. Johnson White and the other play the two Nigerian boys up front. I mean, Awani and um, Dennis as a front two with Brennan Johnson wide right, Gibbs White wide left, Froiler and Mangala as a two, Renan Lodi at left back. Dyche does like his left back to get forward. Nico Williams would be an issue at right back. He's not good enough defensively to consistently play in a four. But that is something you can work on. You can rein back in the attacking side of his game, get him more focused on the defensive side. And you absolutely have the centre-backs to play it too. You've got Warrell. You've got McKenna. You've got Niakate. You've got Loic Bade. You're absolutely fine. You could absolutely play Sean Dyche football with this squad. And like... So many of the others fit in really well as well. Lewis O'Brien 
ideal Sean Dyche midfielder. I think Ryan Yates is a really good Sean Dyche midfielder as well. Um, I wouldn't see any problem at all with Dyche and this squad. He'd make things real simple for them. So if he if if he does go, if Cooper does go, Dyche is the choice, and not just because he's a good manager, but he's got a connection to the club. Like he's got a long time connection to the club. He came through their academy, played there at the start of his career. Let's not forget who his background staff or backroom staff are either. Uh, his assistant manager is Ian Wone, and Ian Wone was a really good player for Forest in the 90s, played there for a decade. He So he'd be coming with him. And the other one is Steve Stone, who was a really good player for Nottingham Forest in the 90s, spent over a decade at the club, really made his name there, um, became an England international, overcame a lot of issues with his knees while playing there and under the tutelage of, of Brian Clough before moving on, um, or before Clough obviously moved on or whatever. So you bring, you'd be bringing back three lads that really care about the club, that really would have a vested interest in what's good for Nottingham Forest. So if you're going to make a decision, make the right decision. Bring in Dyche and his full backroom staff. But I would give Cooper more time. Right, let's take a quick look around the other main European leagues. Uh, this weekend, Napoli beat Torino 3-1. Zambo Anguisa scored two. Kivaccia scored the other. Antonio Sanabria with the only goal for Torino. Inter Milan won Roma 2, the Jose Mourinho derby. Federico De Marco had put Inter 1-0 up. Dybala equalised, but a Chris and a Chris Smalling winner gave Roma all three points. Massive win for Mourinho. Massive win for them. Uh, Empoli won Milan 3. Anti Rebic, Foto Balotore and Rafael Liao with the goals for Milan. This was a mental end to this game. Rebic scored on 79 to make it 1-0. It was still 1-0 on 91. Uh, Bajrami scored on 92 to make it 1-1 for Empoli. And then Balotore went straight to the other end of the field and scored, and then Rafael Liao wrapped it up in 96 minutes. Uh, Lazio 4, Spezia 0. Two goals in that one for Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. Uh, Alessio Ramagnoli also on the score sheet. Sassuolo 5, Salernitana 0. Really impressive home win for Sassuolo. Uh, Lecce 1, Cremonese 1. Sampdoria 0, Monza 3. Massive win for Monza down in the relegation places. Uh, Stefano Sensi with one of the goals for the visiting side. Atalanta won Fiorentina nil. Adamola Luckman with the only goal of the game. Juventus three, Bologna nil. Kostic, Vlahovic and Milik with the goals there. And Verona won 
Udinese 2. Udinese keep up this really good start to the season. Last-minute winner by Yaka Bijol. Bijol? I think Yaka Bijol is his name. Um, Josh Doig, who's a Scottish defender, was at Hibernian. He scored the only goal for Verona there. So we get Napoli top on 20 points. Atalanta second, also 20 points. Only goal difference uh, separating those. Udinese third, Lazio fourth, Milan fifth, Roma sixth, Juve up into seventh, Sassuolo eighth, Inter drop to ninth. And I don't think Simone and Zaghi is long for that job. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks over whether Allegri will get the boot at Juve. I think Inzaghi might be out the door before he is. Uh, so Syria is shaping up really, really well. Down at the bottom, Sampdoria on the foot, Cremonese and Verona make up the bottom three and Monza climb themselves up into 16th, putting Bologna between them and the relegation spots. So really good weekend for Monza and obviously the teams at the top. In La Liga, we had a couple of quite surprising results. So Athletic Club beat Almira, uh, Almeria 4-0. Inaki Williams and Nico Williams both scoring for the Basque side. Cadiz nil, Villarreal nil. Hitafe 2, Valladolid 3. Looks like that was quite an exciting game. Uh, though all the goals came in the first 48 minutes. Sevilla nil, Atletico Madrid 2. Huge win for Atleti. Massively needed for Diego Simeone, uh, Marcus Llorente and Alvaro Morata with the goals in that one. Mallorca nil, Barcelona won. Barca just had a phenomenally good domestic start to the season. Uh, Lewandowski with the only goal of the game. He is he is scoring for fun. Uh, I know some people worried that you know he might not be able to keep up the same sort of goal rate that he'd shown in the Bundesliga, but he has uh, 12 goals in nine games. So you've got Haaland coming from the Bundesliga to the Premier League and just dominating, and Lewandowski going to La Liga from the Bundesliga and dominating. So maybe Bundesliga tax needs to be readdressed. Um, Espanyol 2, Valencia 2. Both sides ended with 10 men. Former Arsenal centre-back Gabriel Paulista scored for Valencia in that one. Celta Vigo 1, Real Betis 0. Girona 3, Real Sociedad 5 in what appears to have been absolutely mental football. Uh, Alexander Sorlat once of Crystal Palace, he got 2. And uh, Kubo, the young... Japanese winger? I think he's Japanese. He's Japanese or Korean. I think he's Japanese. Um, he scores the fifth goal. He is. He has been hyped since he was about 14. And Barcelona got in quite a bit of trouble for trying to sign him in some illegal manner. He ends up at Real Madrid. Doesn't really work there. Ends up now at Sociedad after a loan last season at Mallorca. And uh, by all accounts, is playing quite well. <clears throat> this is the big surprise that we get. Real Madrid won. Ten man Osasuna won. Vinicius Jr. had put Real one up. Uh, Kike Garcia scored on 50 to equalize. David Gar- 
Garcia was sent off on 78. Real missed a late penalty with Benzema missing. I think someone said he's missed five penalties for Real Madrid. And this same goalkeeper, Sergio Herrera, has saved three of them, or three of them were against him. Um, It's a strong Real team. It's not full-strength Real. Uh, You've got Danny Ceballos starting, so you're never going to be full-strength there. But it is is a really strong team, and, you know, it did bring the likes of Camavinga, Valverde, and Edder Militao off the bench. So that's a disappointing one for Real. Uh, Rayo Vallecano 2, Elche 1. Uh, Unai Lopez with a last-minute winner for Vallecano. League table, Barcelona top, 19 points. 19 goals scored, only one conceded. Real Madrid second, 19 points. 18 goals scored, seven conceded. So Barca have a significant goal difference advantage. Athletic Club are in third, which is great. Real Betis fourth. Atleti up into fifth. Osasuna sixth. Real Sociedad 7th, Villarreal 8th, and Valencia ninth. You have to go all the way down to 17th to find Sevilla, uh, who sit just outside the relegation spots. Elche are bottom, Cadiz 2nd, Almeria 2nd uh, bottom, Almeria 3rd bottom, and then Sevilla, which is uh, obviously not the season going to plan. And you would imagine, you would imagine there is going to be uh, a change. You would imagine Lopetegui is likely to be out the door fairly soon. Now, he is, according to John Percy, one of the two managers that Wolves are really keen on. And apparently Wolves are going to look outside of the Portuguese bubble. Now, Lopetegui has Portuguese connections, having worked at Porto. But him and Bo Svensson of mines are apparently the two keep the two managers that Wolves are kind of zeroing in on. And it wouldn't surprise me if Lopetegui decided, yeah, let's just let's just move on. Let's go somewhere else and, and try and do something new. Because um at the moment uh, he's only going one way at Sevilla and that is to the unemployment line. Uh moving on to France where we had a full round of games. Angers nil, Marseille three. Uh, Jonathan Class, Luis Suarez, not that one, the other one. And Gerson with the goals for Marseille. Strasbourg one, Ren three. Calamundo, Terrier, and Amin Guri with the goals for Ren. If you're not watching Ren, you're missing out. They have some of the most exciting attacking players in world football. So Calimundo and Guri started up front in this one. Terrier off the left. Off the bench, they had Jeremy Doku and Lovro Meyer. And Kamaldin Sulimala wasn't even in the matchday squad because he's got a knock. They're phenomenally fun to watch. Make sure you're watching them. That's all I can say. Make sure you're watching them. Uh, it's just a shame that they've lost a couple of their best young players, Malik Till and obviously... Uh, Kamavinga in the last couple of years because if those two were still there this team would be terrifying and Loic Bade just didn't settle for whatever reason um, PSG 2 Nice 1, Messi and Mbappe giving PSG 3 points Laurent 2, 
Lille won. Uh, Jonathan David scored the consolation goal. Or it wasn't a consolation really because it made it one all. But Laurent went on and won the game. Uh, Toulouse 4, Montpellier 2. Good win for Toulouse. Auxerre 1, Brest 1. Troyes 2, Reims 2. Jekyll 1, Clermont Foot 3. Monaco 4, Nantes 1. Uh, Breel and Bolo. Breel and Bolo and a Wissam Ben Yedder hat-trick. don't understand how Wissam Ben Yedder never got to a top, top club. He's a really good player. Uh, Lens won Leon 3. Sorry, Leon nil. What am I thinking? Another three good points for Lens, who have just had an outstanding start to the season. And um, Seiko Fafana in midfield is absolutely outstanding. I'm really not sure how someone hasn't picked him up there yet. The league table has PSG top, Marseille second, two points behind. Laurent third, Lens fourth. You could have got incredible odds on those two being in the top four at this point. Uh, Monaco fifth, Rennes sixth, Lyon seventh, Lille eighth. Really not a good time for Lille. They, they've had to sell a bunch of players from their title-winning team, the manager left, the director of football left, and all that's really left behind is a pile of debt and some uh, some memories. A Jekyll bottom, Strasbourg second bottom, and Brest in 18th, just one point behind Reims and Nantes. Really disappointed in Nantes this season. Having won the Cup last year, I thought they'd kick on, but they haven't. Uh, move to the Bundesliga then, where... Bayern got back to winning ways 4-0 over Leverkusen on Friday night. Sané, Musiala, Mane and Muller with the goals there. Gerardo Sione probably needs to start considering what he's going to do with himself because he's not going to last much, much longer unless he turn, turns things around. Uh, Freiburg 2, Mainz 1. Big win for Freiburg there. Keeps them in the mix at the top of the table. Cologne 3, Dortmund too. This is just what Dortmund do, isn't it? They give you a bit of hope and then they just let you down over and over again. Um, one thing of note, Jude Bellingham was captain in that game. Rather bizarre thing to happen, but that's what happened. Uh, Wolfsburg 3, Stuttgart 2. Good win for Wolfsburg. Eintracht Frankfurt 2, Union Berlin 0. This was the shock of the weekend. Gotze and Lindstrom with the goals. Um, Moyane was sent off with 25 minutes left, but Union couldn't find a way back into the game. Leipzig 4, Bochum 0. Bochum are garbage, so this doesn't mean too much, but a good confidence-building win for Leipzig. Two for Timo Werner, two for Christopher Nkunku, a former Chelsea player, and potentially a future Chelsea player, but... So reports from England yesterday were that the deal was basically done, that they'd agreed terms with him, they'd done a medical, they'd kind of agreed the framework of a deal with Leipzig. But then reports in Germany say that the medical wasn't really a medical, that there was no Chelsea officials there. It was more just to show that everything was in order, that nothing's been agreed with the player or the club, and it's all very strange. Um, if I had to bet, I would bet he probably ends up there, but it's all a bit strange. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Werder Bremen 5, 
Borussia Mönchengladbach won. You have no idea how shocked they was at Werner Bremen scoring five goals at the weekend. Um, great win, though. Absolutely brilliant win. Uh, couldn't have asked for more. Hertha, Hertha Berlin won. Hoffenheim won. Uh, former Watford player, Dodi Lukabiaco. Biakio. Uh, he scored for Hertha and Kramerich scored for Hoffenheim. And then Schalke 2, Augsburg 3. This is a bad result for Schalke at home against a team that they'll probably have felt like were someone they were going to compete with this season in the mid-table. Uh, so you get Bochum bottom on one point. Um, then Leverkusen on five points, then Stuttgart on five points, Schalke on sixth. Uh, so one goes and one goes into the playoff. So they all need to get their act together. All three of those clubs and Hertha Berlin, to be fair, need to get their act together. At the top, it's Union Berlin top on 17, Freiburg second, also on 17, Bayern third, Dortmund fourth, Hoffenheim fifth. If Dortmund had won at the weekend, they could have gone top, but Dortmund are Dortmund, and they let you down. Um, <clears throat> Hoffenheim fifth, Eintracht sixth, Cologne seventh, and Werder Bremen in eighth. We will finally do the Portuguese Super League, where we also had a full round of games. Sporting three, Gil Vicente one, uh, Pedro Concalves, the notable goal scorer for Sporting. Porto four, Braga one. This is a big win for them. Uh, Evan Nielsen scored. Pepe scored at both ends, which is just always funny when defenders do that. Uh, Vesela won. Porto Menense won. Sorry, Porto Menense nil. Chavez won. Estrel Praia won. Vittorio nil. Benfica nil. This was a disappointing result for Benfica, who'd started the season brilliantly, but this was a really flat performance. Um, Rio Ave won. Santa Clara nil. Pacos Ferreira won, Aruca won, Familicao 4, Boa Vista 0. Big shock because Familicao had started the season really poorly, uh, but this was a result they badly needed. And Maritimo won, Casapia 2 in a game where both sides had a man sent off. So, Benfica still top, three points clear of Braga. Porto are level on points of Braga, but one goal worse off. Casapia, the surprise package in fourth. Porto Menense, fifth. Boa Vista, sixth. Now, Boa Vista, had they won, would have been fourth. Uh, Sporting up to seventh. They've had a really weird start to the season. Down at the bottom, Maritimo in 18th, Pacos Ferreira in 17th, Santa Clara 16th. Familicao jump from 16th to 15th with that win over Boa Vista. So they went into that game. Boa Vista, if memory serves, Boa Vista were fourth. Yeah, Boa Vista were, no, sorry, Boa Vista were fifth and Familicao were 16th and Familicao handed them the backsides. So big win for them. And that is that. Let's do the Eredivisie just because. Why not? Um, NEC won Feyenoord won. Now let's start with the earlier games. Cambor won 
PSV, sorry, Canberra 3, PSV Eindhoven 0. Massively, massively surprising result there. Uh, Groningen won AZ Alkmaar 4. Ajax won Go Ahead Eagles 1. So the, the big two both slipping up. 23, Vietas Arnhem 0. Fortuna Stittard 2, Volendam 0. Excelsior 0, Utrecht 1. NEC won, Feyenoord won. So, in fact, the big three all slip up. Uh, Walwick 2, Sparta Rotterdam 2. Emmen 0, Heronveen 0. Top of the table now, AZ Alkmaar. Ajax 2nd, PSV 3rd, Feyenoord 4th. Heronveen, sorry, 25th, Heronveen 6th. Down at the bottom, you've got Volendam, Emmen, or Eamon, and Vetus Arnhem. Those are the bottom three. Um, looks like a competitive area division this season, which is always nice. It's always good when one of it's generally Alkmaar or Twenty can kind of bundle their way into the mix. Um, I suppose if we're being honest, in in the last twenty years. Feyenoord are more on the level of Twente and Alkmaar than they are Ajax and PSV. They've kind of fallen back to the next tier and Ajax and PSV have sort of established themselves as a level above, but it's a good mix there at the top. Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have a look at tonight's Champions League games. We'll do the gossip and we'll be done. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So tonight we have eight Champions League games, two at quarter to six and six at 8 p.m. So the quarter to six games are Bayern Munich at home to Victoria Plisson. Plisson have lost both games thus far. Bayern have won both games. Uh, Barcelona and Inter Milan are the other teams in that group. Uh, you would expect a heavy Bayern Munich victory in that game at home coming off a good win last Friday with a bit of a point to prove because there's been some question marks in recent weeks over Julian Nagelsmann and some of the players you know how much are they missing Lewandowski can they win the Champions League without Lewandowski so I think Bayern will want to make a bit of a statement uh, the other game then is I think more interesting it's Marseille against Sporting, that is Tottenham's group. Um, Sporting are top, they've won both games so far. Marseille are bottom, they've lost both games so far. But this game is a big chance for Marseille to get their Champions League campaign up and going. They're at home, they'll have a partisan crowd behind them. Even in the early kickoff, I think the Velodrome will be absolutely bouncing. So that should be a good game. Then in your 8 p.m. kickoffs, it's Porto against Leverkusen. Now, that is sorry, that is the group that Club the that Club Bruges are currently top of. Bruges have won both games. Um, Porto have lost both games. Leverkusen 
one and one, as are Atletico Madrid. So at the moment, Porto are bottom, Leverkusen are second. Porto, like Marseille, need to get themselves up and running, need to get themselves some confidence. Bad res- or good result at the weekend, rather, over Braga. And um, they'll be hoping that they can turn things around. They're used to getting to the knockout stages. Uh, the other game, obviously, in that group then is Club Bruges versus Atletico Madrid, and that should be a good one. Um, Atleti, great win at the weekend. Bruges going so well in the competition so far. Atleti will want to remind them of who, you know, who the, the big dog in that group is. So I think I would back Atleti away from home to win that one. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt against Tottenham is obviously the other game in the Marseille Sporting Group. Eintracht have had a strange season so far. But Tottenham lost at the weekend. They lost last time out in the Champions League to Sporting. We might see Antonio Conte shuffle the deck a little bit. We might just see him make some changes. Uh, This is a big game for Spurs. They, They can't afford to start stringing defeats together. They've got to find a consistent run of wins because that will translate back into the league. And they need to get top four again this season. Conte won't accept anything less. Uh, Inter versus Barcelona, I think, is the game of the night. It is obviously in that Bayern-Victoria Plisson um, group. This is European royalty. This game is is European royalty. We can mock Barca for the financial mess they've gotten themselves into all we want. But when it comes down to it, there are a small number of clubs who have won the European Cup three or more times. You've got Real Madrid, Milan, Bayern, Liverpool, Barca, Ajax, Manchester United and Inter Milan. You've got eight teams that have won the European Cup three times or more. These are two of them. And I think the rivalry between them back, not even the it wasn't really a rivalry because you can't really have rivalries in the Champions League, but the tie between them back in 2010 remains one of the great Champions League era European ties. You had that unbelievable Barcelona team under Guardiola. You had a great Inter team under Mourinho that would go on, obviously, and win that tie, go on and win the final against Bayern and complete a treble. That Pep team is arguably the greatest team of all time. That I would say second, personally, I'd put it behind Saki's Milan team, but it, you're, you're really, you know, you're, it's it's really, really close. It's really hard to separate them because they're very different teams fundamentally. Um, but Barca were just, they looked untouchable at that point. And you had a good calibre of football. You had tactical approaches that were very contrasting. You had Pep versus Jose. And that rivalry was really only starting at that point because Pep was, wasn't long in the Barca job. He'd only been there two years. Jose obviously had his own personal gripes with Barcelona. Those would escalate when he would go on to, to Real. Um, you had a bit of a brawl. You had just a lot of fun, I thought. And um, we don't see ties like that anymore. The, the physicality, the hostility, it just doesn't really exist anymore. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to this one. Now, obviously, there's only two players remaining from that tie. You've got Piquet and Busquets. They're the only two remaining. Xavi played. He's now the manager of Barca, obviously, but only, only two players. So there's no real connection to that, but I just think I, I just think it's fun. Um, and then you've got Ajax versus Napoli, which should be a really good game. Napoli have been, I think, the most impressive team in the Champions League group stage thus far. And Kavica is a force of nature. But Ajax always tend to do well in European Cup group stages. They were unlucky to lose to Liverpool, despite the fact Liverpool were the better team. They managed to hold them out until the 88th minute uh, and looked like they were going to get away with a 1-1 draw. Ended up losing, but they had hammered Rangers in the first game. I think they'll want to win this one because if they don't, it's going to be really hard for them to get out of this group. Because you'd expect Liverpool to beat Rangers home and away, which means Ajax need at least one win from these two games against Napoli. And then they need to beat Liverpool in Amsterdam. And then they you'd expect them to beat Rangers. Um the last game then obviously is Liverpool versus Rangers. And uh, I don't want to talk about it because it, it just I've talked about it already. Daily Red, go and listen to that. Uh, that is tonight's Champions League games then. They should be fun. I think there's a couple of really good games. There's a couple of really interesting games. And hopefully a couple of fun games. Uh, we'll do the gossip and we'll be done. Cristiano Ronaldo will be allowed to leave... Manchester United in January, says the Telegraph. Uh, it is James Ducker, which means it is likely quite reliable. And it is the right decision by Manchester United to allow him to leave. Chelsea are believed to be monitoring Arsenal's 21-year-old Brazil forward, Gabriel Martinelli. The Gunners have offered Bikayo Saka 200 grand a week to extend his stay at the club. I just, I, it's far too much. He's like, not for him. He's really, really good. And if that's the going rate, that's the going rate. But like, what's he going to be earning at 26, 27? Where does the wages stop in this sport? They've already gotten so far out of control. Like mediocre players earn 100 to 150 grand a week now. And have done for the last few years. Bang average lads earning 150 grand a week. The great players of the first 10 years of the Premier League didn't sniff that type of money. And yet the bang average ones do it now. In addition to talks about Orby Leipzig signing, sorry, about or in addition to talks with Orby Leipzig about signing Christopher and Kunku, Chelsea are also discussing signing. Josco Gvardiol, I don't put any faith in that story at all. The Blues will assess the goalkeeping situation over the coming months with Edouard Mendy yet to sign a new contract. I'd say the bigger issue than him not signing a new contract is he's not really suited to how Graham Potter wants his goalkeeper to play. Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag has told the club's hierarchy not to offer any new contracts to players until he works out who deserves them. That is one of the smartest things anyone has done at Manchester United in the last six or seven years. Um, 
France defender William Saliba has confirmed his representatives have spoken to Arsenal about a new contract. Xavi says it is not the moment to talk about bringing back Lionel Messi and that people should leave him in peace to enjoy his time at Paris Saint-Germain. It's going to happen. Messi is going back to Barcelona next summer. You can you can book that one right now. Wolves Chiefs are in no rush to fast track a replacement to replace for a replacement for Bruno Ma- Bruno Lage, who was sacked on Sunday. Um, I think they want Lopetegui, and I think that's why they're not in a rush. They're going to wait and see if he gets sacked, and if not, they'll make an approach. But he's got a Champions League game. Um, to be taken care of. So, I that's my guess anyway. Rafa Benitez is an option to replace Steve Cooper. I just don't think he should be. Rob Edwards and Bournemouth caretaker boss Gary O'Neill are in the frame to replace Chris Wilder. So it looks like Borough are going to go for a young, up-and-coming manager. Now, Rob Edwards did really well at Forest Green. He was not given time and he wasn't backed properly at Watford. So I don't think his stock is all that damaged. I still think he's really highly rated and probably highly thought of by clubs looking for managers. So, yeah, I think he makes sense. And Gary O'Neill's done a really good job so far at Bournemouth. Now, he's still the caretaker manager. We'll see what happens. It would be funny if Wilder ended up at Bournemouth and, and O'Neill ended up at um at Borough. But I, I think Rob Edwards probably makes the most sense because he's available straight away. O'Neill won't walk on Bournemouth until they've appointed somebody. Bournemouth, Crystal Palace and Leicester are monitoring 23-year-old Sheffield United and Wales left back, Reese Norrington Davies. He's a decent player. He is a decent player. Yeah, Newcastle have agreed a two-year contract extension with Callum Wilson. We discussed that yesterday. That is it, folks. That will do me for today. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.